0: Hello and welcome to The Revolution Begins at Home, a podcast about activism, what it looks like, and who gets to do it. My name is Chantelle Lewis. I'm a public sociologist and the co founder and co host of the Surviving Society podcast. Throughout this series, I'm going to be speaking to activists and advocates about their work. We'll be talking about what it means to be an activist what it involves, and how structures of power determine what we consider to be activism or worthy of an activist movement. In today's episode, I spoke to Sarah Corbett.
1: So I always say craftivism is a little bit like punk music. You know, you've got all these different bands
0: and musicians who sound completely different, but they're all under that umbrella. Sarah is an award-winning campaigner and the founder of the Craftivist Collective, a social enterprise making big changes through gentle and intimate protest. Before we hear the full interview and all about the incredible work of the Craftivist Collective, here are Sarah's activist influences. Oh, so
1: many. Yeah, there's so many. I love Gandhi. I just read his grandson's book about uh, the gift of anger, which is really good. I'm an introvert, so Eleanor Roosevelt was a big inspiration for me. But I always come back to Martin Luther King Jr., which sounds a bit cheesy. But my book, Strength to Love, is his book of sermons and speeches. And I have a tattoo on my shoulder saying, Tough Mind, Tender Heart, which is what he said every activist needs. You need a tough mind to be super strategic, but you need a tender heart to do do everything with love and through love not for love so martin luther king all the way
0: martin luther king all day every day amen (laughs) amen hello everyone (laughs) I'm so excited today to be joined by Sarah Corbett, who is the founder of the Craftivist Collective. So Sarah, you are a social enterprise founder, Mm -hmm. an award-winning activist, an author, and an Ashoka Fellow. All the A's. All the A's. (laughs) And for those that don't know what Ashoka Fellow is, these are people who work in social change Mm -hmm. all over the world. So you're like a living legend sat in the room with me. Far from it. I'm, I'm figuring stuff out as I go along. You, Sarah, I'm going to tell you, you are a living legend sat in front of me. And I told you, when the men come on, yeah. like, don't shut up telling me about themselves. <laughs> but when women like you come on, I'm always just so inspired and so excited and want to uplift you because oh, we're so we were so bad at like covers.
1: i'm really good at doing it for other people i yes, love picking yes. up other people but when it's yourself it's like oh you just cringe i know and the little scouser on my shoulder is like who do you think you are talking you good about yourself
0: <laughs> no i totally understand that but equally like i've got to gush you up definitely like, amazing amazing stuff <laughs> so what is craftivism
1: good question so craftivism in its simplest form is the word craft and activism mushed up together. So it was coined in 2003 by a woman called Betsy Greer, who's American, and she's a knitter. And she joined, she actually was in London, she was living above an amazing shop that's now closed called Prick Your Finger, and joined some like feminist craft groups and realised that the and groups especially were talking about politics and personal, as well as, you know personal political as well as systemic change stuff while they were knitting and making and make doing men's stuff and basically merged you know created this word and I googled craft and activism in 2008 when I thought oh I think these could work well together and there wasn't any groups that I could join or projects I could do so I emailed her and said I'd love to use this word and try things out is that okay and she lets anyone use the word So I call my approach gentle protest, but there's lots of different approaches out there. You can crochet voodoo dolls of particular world leaders, and that could be seen as craftivism. Or you could do like some of the stuff I do where we make gifts for power holders that are small and humble to encourage them to use their power for good and hold them accountable more as critical friends than aggressive enemies. But if you Google craftivism, you'll find lots of different things and you can go down a rabbit hole for years, probably.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. So were you, prior to emailing Betsy and prior to looking up this stuff, were you into crafts and creativity anyway?
1: I was always creative. So I loved drawing and painting and doodling. I'm an introvert, so I was always in my own little world, always making and playing around. But In school we didn't really have great craft teachers, um, never got into craft. My nan as well was a really good crochet knitter and tapestry woman and she'd sell some of her stuff to make a bit of extra cash. So if anything I was put off craft because I thought she's so good but I picked up a cross-stitch kit on a train to Glasgow when I was I was working for the Department for International Development on a big national project and I was so burnt out and I couldn't read my reports and write my emails on a Pendolino train up to Glasgow from London because I'd get Those sick. feel so sick. Oh, so sick. So oh, sick. my God,
0: I can never remember what they're called. Pendolinos. It, yes, every time I go to Scotland, I'm like, I get off and I'm like, oh, my God, I feel yeah, so it was, it was
1: five hours to Glasgow and I thought, I'm so exhausted and I'd just moved to London, I think, a year before and I joined lots of activists groups because my my background's activism i really wanted to paint or draw i missed using my hands but i couldn't do that on a pendolino So I weirdly picked up a tiny cross-stitch kit of a teddy, it was like a fiver, quite ugly, didn't know what to do with it, but it felt accessible because it's just crosses. So I thought, well, this is something I could try, I can YouTube it. And then I immediately noticed that it slowed me down, it calmed me down, it made me aware how shaky my hands were, how shallow my breath was, how actually exhausted I was as an activist in my job as well as in my personal life. And the process, I thought, oh my word, it's helping me think more critically I'm less anxious, the people opposite me were asking what I was doing, and I'm an activist, I'm not a crafts person, so as soon as people asked me what I was doing, I was like, if only, I didn't say it to them, it was in my head, I was like, if only this wasn't a teddy, if it was a quote from Gandhi, we could talk about Inequality. So I started thinking the process could help with activism. And then the object, what could the object be to engage people in a quieter, more intriguing than aggressive way? And it just, in my head, it made sense. (laughs) But when I googled stuff, there wasn't anything. So yeah, I asked permission to use the word. And then it just, that was... 12 years ago or longer it's crazy
0: it's such an amazing story and it really does help like listeners understand like how things come to be and how it's a very it's a it's a long but kind of detailed process that it's very, very personal
1: it hasn't been like I'm going to do this perfect package thing it's been where's there a need am I the right person to fulfill it or should someone else do it and really always start and small rather than big because if you start big thinking I'm going to fix the world and save it you're sort of fueled by ego and you might you're setting yourself up to fail so I think it yeah it It is about being organic and the world changes so much. Like when I started doing the Craftivist Collective, Instagram didn't exist. Pinterest didn't exist. Twitter was quite new. It was more online was much more about blogs. Vlogs were not really there. It's a different world. So you've always got to be thinking about what fits in the context we're in.
0: So I guess that would be it'd be really helpful now to tell listeners a little bit about the Craftivist Collective. Yeah, what is it?
1: What is it? So it's a social enterprise. It's a. It's not like an arts collective where you you know, get interviewed and you're in it. It's whoever gets involved in our projects and community. You are part of the collective if you want to be. <laughs> We're not forcing you into it. And I create different projects people can do. Some are issue specific and time bound and some are more. You can use this for your own issue, whether it's local, national, international. And I have kits that people buy. I have books and tools and manifestos and different resources and then lots of free resources on the website and then I deliver lots of workshops consultancy and collaborations with charities lots of events for art institutions whether it's like the V&A and the Tate or different festivals so a real mix but my hope is that the Craftivist Collective is a really useful place for people to learn how to do gentle protest craftivism so when I say gentle I think a lot of people might be like, oh, it's such a loaded word. So I don't mean passive or weak. And especially as a woman, we need to make sure that that's not the presumption. I mean it as in it's about being compassionate to yourself and to others. You don't burn out as an activist. But also that you're not demonizing other people, which is not good for your own health, but not good for your campaign. So it's about being compassionate, but it's also gently being super strategic, really careful, being gentle on the planet. So all of our resources are mostly upcycled and donated and small, not big. And it's a catalyst for change. It's not something that is about transaction, but transformation. And it's protest. So I really focus on protest. So it is about there's a problem and what is the solution and how can we be part of turning that problem into a solution. So it's not fundraising. It's not just awareness raising. It's always protesting against something that you want to change but always offering solutions and always in a positive way
0: so in terms of thinking about everything you've just said there sarah and think about the notion of gentle protest Mm. and thinking about you and your organizations as change makers yeah how if there's a listener now who is an organizer or an activist mm-hmm. that does stuff that isn't gentle protest how do we make them understand that this in itself is still a valid way of doing things so do you know what i mean like when you, you i'm sure you get like critique
1: yeah that's and i love it good. like because i wouldn't be doing what i do if it didn't work mm-hmm. and that's the main thing like i do it because it works i don't see myself as a crafter i love craft But I always say we need to see craftivism as one tool in the activism toolkit. It's not there to replace other forms of activism. And a lot of the time I spend um, is actually telling, whether it's a charity or a local activist group or individuals on social media, is telling them not to do craftivism because sometimes it's not the right tool to pick out of the toolkit. So I worked with Share Action, who do incredible activism, shareholder activism, where we made gifts for the board members of Marks and Spencers to ask them to pay the living wage, which within 10 months of our protest, they did pay the living wage. And they said that they wouldn't have done it without our gentle protest because it was so unusual and humble and quiet and thoughtful and was about their customers and them and not about just anyone joining in so it's really it can be really useful for lots of different people in different ways but i think we should be as you know critical and strategic with every activism tool sometimes i'll go on a march even as an introvert who doesn't like shouting lots and sometimes i do boring petitions sometimes i have meetings with power holders that i will never be able to tell anyone about because it's important that it's you know confidential i think we need we all need to know how there's so many different tools in the activism toolkits and how to use it to be most effective for the campaign.
0: Oh, that's so powerful and i'm just you know as you were talking you gave that example of like the marks and spencer's board yes. members i'm just sat there thinking of them in like their like massive tower like opening you brought in some amazing examples of some of the craft that you do at the craftless collective and them opening it and like reading messages on there about yeah these... i mean
1: we hand delivered them at the agm oh. so we bought a share which is one pound the admin fees cost us 40 pound And I I had, there's 14 board members, so I picked 14 craftivists from across the UK, not global, because it was a a UK AGM. And I specifically picked people who either were or looked like their core customer base. Because again, if you're working back from, one, what's the solution is, we don't want people on the minimum wage. It's not ethical, it's not sustainable, it's not respectful and... So if we want the living wage, is that realistic? Yes, it was that they could pay the living wage. What's stopping them? So we figured out, is it reputation? Is it them saving money, making money? What's the motive to get? And then I picked craftivists that were part of their core customer base because they're going to listen to them much more than someone who isn't and actually a lot of activists go for let's have the people directly affected to be the voice which I think is really important sometimes but sometimes it can be objectifying and it can be othering and people are busy (laughs) and I'm from a very low-income area in Everton where we would sometimes feel like we were brought out as an object so I didn't pick people who were their their staff members because it could harm their job as well so we only had an and again, it's quite counterintuitive. I said to Share Action, I said to the CEO who read my little book before my big book and, and said, can you do something weird because we've tried everything? And I said, well, I'm only going to target 14 people. I'm not wanting hundreds of petitions signed or lots of handkerchiefs being given in because it needs to be intimate activism. And they, for three years, they tried so much different types of traditional activism that didn't work with the boards. They asked for a meeting with the CEO when we're getting nowhere. So I thought, well... Who's above the CEO? The board. He, he's still a he, is on the board. There's 14 of them. Let's buy a share. Let's wear our M&S clothes. Let's buy handkerchiefs from M&S to show that we're customers. And then we Googled everything about the board member that we all were given, really figured out what we thought they would be encouraged and inspired by it. and then we wrote a timeless quote from someone that they would admire stitched it on the handkerchief and then we said please don't blow it use your power for good so a bit of a pun bit of humor but not in bad taste and then we wrote handwritten letters to go alongside it but we wrapped it up in this handkerchief and this you know spent hours making it to say we believe in you as individuals that you can do something brilliant and you can change the history of MS. and and then we hand delivered it very quietly at the side of the stage We didn't ask for any photos. We didn't do a big presentation. It was all boxed up in ribbons so they didn't know what each other's handkerchief looked like or said. So very intimate, one to one. And that form of intimate activism was what made it memorable. You know, it wasn't just the craft, it was the humility, it was the empathy, it was trying to figure out what might stop them, you know, always thinking about them and not us, which is quite disarming for people and unusual and memorable.
0: God, that's amazing. That's so impressive. (laughs) you <laughs> tell us a little bit more about your experiences um, of campaigning in general like you've given us a case study example which is not such a great example but I guess within the craft of this collective but maybe beyond as well the Craftivist mm. collective your your experience of campaigning
1: my experience of campaigning well there's photographic evidence of <laughs> me age three with a mullet because my mum used to cut our hair we were on a budget standing outside of a row of social housing that my community was squatting in to save from demolition which are still standing we and we got on the cover of the local newspaper the Liverpool Echo where we had both bishops there and our big banner with a Martin Luther King quote on it and um, so I I am an activist and I'm passionate about activism so I grew up in a low very low-income area in Everton in Liverpool in the 80s so under a Thatcher government a very corrupt militant council my mum was a nurse and then is now a politician. She's now deputy mayor of Liverpool City Council. No way! And we have the first black woman yep. mayor in the country who's currently in Vogue magazine. Yeah. Who came yep. to our last campaign, which we filmed for Sky Arts last month, which comes out in October. So she's now, yeah, deputy mayor. My dad has been and still is the local vicar in Everton. Wow. And he runs the local youth club as the warden with the community. So I grew up in very high unemployment bad nutrition like quite a tough area and saw inequality firsthand and my mum and dad majorly part of community action most meetings were in our back kitchen and so and I was always a geek I would listen to every conversation so I very much grew up seeing when camp when campaigning could win when we lost hearing stories of campaigning for a health center and them targeting the wrong power holder and having to be like oh leap we need to get we've targeted the wrong person it needs to be this person so quite early on I knew how to campaign and the strategies involved and we went to South Africa for my dad's sabbatical just after Mandela got out in 91 so I was eight Saw so lots of the peace and reconciliation work they were doing there and liberation theology to bring back to Everton so it was always very much a global perspective. I remember we boycotted oranges and I didn't know what boycotting meant and why it was oranges or yeah it was just part of our life of to be a good global citizen you think about who are the most vulnerable in the world and how can we help and if not help how can we just not harm. So it's always a big part of my life.
0: That is honestly, I'm just sat here in awe. (laughs) Like I did not think that we would that we would be talking about the Craftivist Collective and Mandela would come up. And then
1: I think that's a good point though. Yeah, but because a lot of people go, you know, people go, oh, that sounds nice, what you do. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably imagining me, you know, sitting away doing a bit of cross stitch, saying make tea not war. I'm like, you can do that, but do you actually, you know. Like I said, I wouldn't be doing it if it didn't work. Like, I am really proud to say we have helped change policies and laws and behaviours and hearts and minds where people have told us it has helped them, which is what keeps me going. But there is a lot of presumption and baggage around craft and around women and activism. And even the word gentle, I'm like, gentle is such a powerful word. It's really hard to be gentle. It's much easier to not have self-control and to just go, rah, and have a tantrum. But when you have a tantrum... Even, you know, rightly so, we need righteous anger, but we need to channel it and control it and do it in the most way to help the cause. Because it's so easy for people to say, I can't listen to you, you're shouting at me. Or people say, I can't talk to them, they've just thrown a milkshake at me. Or how do they know how to do my difficult job? It's easy for them to say, stop global warming now, but they're not giving me realistic solutions to do or tangible things they haven't put themselves in my shoes i'm always starting from the power holders position trying to think the best of them not the worst but being realistic and pragmatic and then i work backwards of where could craft help and where might it not help and i think with all activism we need to start from what's the problem what are the realistic solutions who are in the people in positions of power who do they listen to and then where do we fit in sometimes it is right that we are the ones to say don't do this sometimes we need to shut up and recruit people who they'll listen to more or sometimes we need to just whisper in their ear and make them feel like they've come up with a decision and then say well done you Mm. when really what you want to say is i told you to do that
0: Yeah, (laughs) i think one of the things that i'm thinking about as you're talking sarah particularly when you, you spoke about like breaking down the word gentle it's something that's often very much missing within our movements and that's the centering of love yeah and like i do i'm a strong believer in like love being very very powerful in terms of activism and i know that can sometimes sound a bit cliche but it's it's really hard to be loving yeah because we live in a very like to quote bell hooks we live in a very loveless world yes so to actually bring love and center love in how we approach our problems i do think can be powerful and yeah like there's gonna be people listening to this now being like mm, doesn't sound a, maybe yeah. it doesn't sound as powerful, but I think you have broken down exactly what it is to to think about activism in its multiplicity. Think about activism as part of a toolkit, is what you're saying. Like there are various things that work at various times, and being strategic as well.
1: And and selfishly you know it, it's not good for our physical mental it's not good for any of our health to be hateful and to presume the worst of people we can be realistic and pragmatic and say okay they've done these awful things in the past they might have done that some people very rarely I think we go we're not going to get anywhere with them let's aim for you know some people are more on the fence that we can engage with so doing a power analysis But actually, it's really not good for our health to label people as evil. I love Brené Brown. So, you know, her whole thing of presume the best and, you know, plan for the worst. But do always presume the best in people. Polarisation is up. Inequality is getting bigger. Like, the more we're in our silos and we're not encouraging each other. It's like, there's so much parts of activism that... I just think we've really got to keep in check with ourselves.
0: No, I think you're right, Sarah. And I guess where I sometimes don't always, aren't always able to see the best in people is thinking about power and those that have the most power mm-hmm. and what they do. Like, how can I change their hearts and minds? Yeah. Or what can I do to them to get them to stop being, to stop widening inequality, And, to and stop you being not They can yeah. change
1: their hearts and minds and you can yeah, be there as a, as a seed. But the majority of people, if not everyone, thinks they're on the right side of history.
0: Yeah, scary, isn't it?
1: And nothing is that binary. There's always, there is nuance involved. And there's so much more common ground than we think there is. So I think we need to meet in the middle. There's always going to be some stuff where it really is, like, horrific. But I think we we need to find common ground Mm. and work through stuff. Because it's just, it's not working or screaming at each other.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're. I think you're. Re- I think you're exactly right there, Sarah. I mean,
1: even the funding sector. I have patrons. who give me ten pounds a month because I think the funding sector is pretty messed up, and it's in the drama triangle where they say who are, who are the baddies, the perpetrators. You're the rescuer, and who are the victims you're going to rescue, and that's how you get funding in activism. I'm like, nope. I am not part of that. I'm no one's saviour. I'm not gonna. People are not victims. They figure out what power they have and can, you know, create change. And I'm not writing people off as baddies. Sometimes you can work with someone in who's a politician who's doing awful stuff. You can help shift them a, a little bit whilst you're still campaigning to get them out and replace them. Like, you can still do both. But I think, yeah, a lot of the activism is in the drama triangle that we need to change.
0: So Sarah, go, going forwards and just thinking again, like tangibly for the listeners, like what t- other types of campaigns have the Craftivist Collective worked on and successfully changed policy or changed hearts and minds or changed people's lives? So
1: all of my projects are online and we've got kits for and all have very different objectives. So all of them have craft of thought questions that you think through on your own or with a group while you're crafting them and have yeah, very clear strategies behind them. So I I love, after talking about the Hanky project, I love sharing one that's completely opposite to that. Like that was like 10 or more hours and really bespoke for power holders. And we have lots of different projects, but the opposite one of that is um, mini fashion statements that I created for Fashion Revolution. So that came out of when it was launched after the Rana Plaza disaster in Bangladesh. And I know the founders, Carrie and Orselet, who were doing incredible stuff. And linking to Gentle Protest, I love their approaches, saying to people who love fashion, how you can use your influence to change the fashion industry. You don't have to be anti-fashion. And I love fashion.
0: Can I just say Sarah sat here looking sharp. I'm glad that we brought up fashion again. (laughs) I
1: know we can enjoy fashion and be activists. It's not one or the other. I get my Vogue subscription every month and I love it. (laughs) It's allowed. And all of their actions were you tag in the brand that you're wearing and then you do a hashtag, who made my clothes. So it's curious activism. It's not judgmental. It's saying to fashion brands, like, I've bought your clothes. I want to know who made them. So it's very clever. But it was all online. So I was trying to think, like, um, how do we reach people who don't find it online? So I came up with this project that we've got little kits for now, which are mini fashion statements. So they're little paper scrolls, take about five minutes to do each one. There's three messages and you pick the one that resonates with you. All of the language is non-violent communication from Marshall Rosenberg's incredible work. And you write in your neatest handwriting, ideally in a fountain pen, in cursive writing. So not capitals, not spiky letters, very gentle fonts. A message about, you know, what's the story behind this item of clothes? Is it one of joy or pain? Find out more at FashRev for people to Google for more information and different actions they could take. And you roll it up and I have an embossed logo of my scissors and thread, um, all on textured watercolour paper because if you engage in two or more textures, you remember it more and it's more luxury paper than cheap. And then you put on the outside, please open me, all lowercase with a smiley face and a kiss so it's not aggressive or scary. And then you have ribbon in your kits which are turquoise, mauve or purple, which are seen as luxury colours. So again, it's exciting to make Let's them see. with your little bow bit bit posh and then you shop drop them so it's the opposite of shoplifting so you just put one in a pocket of clothes in a shop that you think could be more ethical so you don't spam people and then you hope and it's anonymous so it's not about you and you hope that people will find it and because it says please open me the again the psychology is that person decides whether to open it or not So they're much more likely to open it with an open heart and an open mind rather than being screamed at without giving permission. And they can find out more with the app FashRev. So very different to changing a law to have people have a pay increase, but just as important of it's reaching people in a gentle way who then start thinking about how they might buy differently. It's reaching different media outlets that Fashion Revolution and others were struggling to get into. And I still get people email me now saying, oh, I did your workshop or I got your kit and me and my daughter did it together. Or I gave it to my grandmother and now she's talking about Fashion Revolution. And sometimes it is planting those seeds and see where they go. So all of our projects are so different, but have to be strategic of who are we trying to target? Who are we trying to reach? How are we trying to reach them? Is it changing? a behaviour? Is it changing a law? There isn't an easy, quick answer, but I, I just encourage people to have a go and then see where it takes them, really.
0: Sarah, that is incredible. Like, honestly, I'm just sat here in awe. Like, I just, <laughs> no, but I love meeting people that really kind of change, yeah, change my heart and mind. I think, like, I knew that you were a very impressive campaigner and activist, but like, getting the detail of it, I rambles like, yeah. no, the detail <laughs> is so powerful. Well, I'm doing
1: a handbook at the moment because oh, we've got amazing. little book, yellow book of the methodology, and then the handbook's going to be a gorgeous coffee table book
0: oh, brilliant. with loads
1: of projects, and we've got a gentle protest color wheel in there by an amazing color therapist called momtaz Begnall. Yeah. she's amazing and we've got some gentle protest fonts done by sarah Heinman, who's a, a typographer so all of the stuff will be there so you have to get involved
0: Thank you so much, Sarah. What an inspiring conversation. Oh, I hope it's
1: useful Definitely. and people can find out more online and there's lots of videos to watch and we'll put it all in the bits episode notes, yeah. yeah. Check it out listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much,
0: Sarah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Revolution Begins at Home. If you enjoyed it, you should check out other podcasts supported by Content It's Queen. This podcast was presented by myself, Chantelle Lewis, and produced by Keris Bradley. If you want to hear more of our work, there are links in the description. Many thanks to Sarah for talking to us. You can find out more about the Craftivist Collective on their website. If you want to learn more about Craftivism, then the Craftivist website is a great place to start. As are Sarah's books, A Little Book of Craftivism, and How to Be a Craftivist. You might also want to check out the reading list we've included in the description of the podcast. The music for the podcast is from Blue Dot Sessions with additional sound from freesound.org. See you next time.